Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I love this little community that has sprung up around the podcast, the Freak Family, and watching the interaction on social media between members of the Freak Family. This one made me laugh. Go. You remember a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about uh, smuggling stories that had gone very wrong. Yeah, the the episode that was mostly about buttholes. Yeah, yeah. yeah people, yeah. One person, a couple of people were uh, arrested for smuggling foreign currency in their butts. Right. And uh, we were coming up with names for it, <laughs> like ass cash. Ass cash. Butt bucks. Uh, bunghole coin. Something like that. Bunghole change. Tush dollars. Yeah. I don't remember. In reference to that episode, Sam wrote, uh, ass cash and butt bucks. Sounds like they could be cryptocurrencies. To which Tyler responded, more like cryptocurrencies. <laughs> Sam writes back, brilliant. I love it. I, I love this kind of interaction. It's fun to watch. It, it is. It's amazing the community that's building. And also, um, you guys are so funny and so smart. And there are so often times where I think, like, I don't know much about this. I wish I knew more. And someone will send me a message and be like, here's more about this. Yeah. Because they happen to work in that exact field. We had a message from a lab tech a while ago explaining how something worked that I was confused about. And that blows my mind how smart you guys are. I love it. It's like I have the best resource for things that I don't understand. <laughs> and believe us, we don't understand much. I like a lot. Well, I go first this week and I'm going to talk about a, a landmark, but a really weird one. Okay. Lying in the northern part of the state of Georgia, among the foothills of the North Georgia mountains, lies Lake Lanier. It's about 75 meters or 258 feet deep. Oh, that's a big one. It's very deep. That's at its deepest point, of course. It's about 59 square miles. It's technically called Lake Sydney Lanier, but people just call it Lake Lanier. It's a man-made reservoir, technically. 
And it has a, a very dark past to it. Is it a flooded town? It is. A, it's several flooded towns. Yeah. Underneath the lake. Did everyone get out? Complete towns. Stop it. You're ruining it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Com- complete towns have been submerged. And if you were to dive down there. Yeah. All the buildings are still there. Oh, my God. Streets are still there. It, now, it's a reservoir. Oh, it's a reservoir. It's a reservoir. So, are you allowed to to swim in it? You have you have a story to tell. Tell me the tell okay. me the things. Okay, I'll Go tell ahead. you. The, I'll tell you the things. Okay, I have so many questions. Go. The project started in 1948. Uh, the government bought a hundred acre farm from um, a, a river ferry operator, and it was in order to start a new water project on the Chattahoochee River. Hey, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, never knew how much that muddy water went to me. But I learned how to swim and I learned who I was. A lot about living and a little about love. Pyramid of kings in the fair moonlight. Talking about cars and dreams. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. The Alan Jackson. <clears throat> it overcame me. Go ahead. And now back to our story. In uh, 1950, the Army Corps of Engineers began breaking ground and they started building Buford Dam. The dam was completed in 1956, and of course, the area started flooding, and it created Lake Lanier. From the very beginning, there was uh, conflict and strife about this, because between Florida and Georgia and Alabama, they were fighting over water rights, how the water should be used, whether it would be just for electricity production, or whether it would be recreation, or a water supply. And at the same time, they were trying to get around federal laws that demanded that water be set aside for endangered species that live in and around the Chattahoochee River. Right. Those conservation laws are so annoying. The states of Alabama and Florida were very unhappy pretty much about how the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers regulated the flow of water from Lake Lanier to their states. Ultimately, things got settled, you know, but people weren't real happy about the outcome outside of the state of Georgia. During the five years that it took for the lake to completely fill to its intended level of water, uh, I guess the government bought something like uh, 45, 50,000 acres of um, farmland and forest. Mm. They moved 250 families, 15 businesses, and relocated 20 cemeteries, along with the corpses that had been buried there. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. I'm waiting for the butt. But. Yeah. There's no telling if they got everybody, and the rumor is they didn't get everyone out. Because there were a lot of a lot of little areas there in the foothills that weren't as easily accessible, and I think you know it was just easier to say, "Yeah, we got them all," sure. and uh, then that was that. The surging water and the spread of the lake ultimately devoured entire towns, buildings, farmland, houses, fields, bridges, toll gates, historical landmarks. Most of the structures uh, that would be buried in the water or inundated were just left as they were. So if you were to dive down there today Mm -hmm. and swim around, you could swim around like Main Street and there would still be buildings looking exactly like they looked in 1956. Probably not exactly. Well, you know, I'm sure that they've been they've eroded somewhat. Probably some algae buildup, fish poop and such. It's interesting because this was one of the reasons like not this town or this lake, but that this situation is one of the reasons that I had a note written home. Uh, when I was in school, 
uh, to my mom because my teacher was concerned that I wasn't reading uh, age-appropriate materials uh-huh. um, because I wrote a story. And I think it was in fifth grade. It might have... I think it was around fifth grade. And I wrote a story about a town that had been submerged for a man-made lake. And there was a couple uh, swimming in the lake after dark. And then, you know, the the feathery fingertips of one of the corpses Mm. began um, Mm. touching the little leggy legs of the swimmers. And um, my teacher didn't think that was appropriate at all. Um, It's it's important to to quash the creativity of a young person. Right. At an early, early age. Well, I just... Just got you know if if my fingers get so pruny after an hour in the bath mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. after uh, decades so, in a submerged town you know your skin's gonna sloth off sloth right off oh. so along with the underwater ghost towns there are derelict ghost ships as I mentioned before there had been ferry services and when the water started to rise people just left the boats there so are these rusted hulls out in the bottom of the uh, in the lake now why wouldn't a boat continually rise with the water I guess just over time lack of maintenance it would sink and it would just fall oh, apart all right. they just abandoned everything so along with all of these abandoned buildings and ships and vehicles and cemeteries uh, there have been over the years an inordinate amount of deaths associated with the lake mm-hmm Now, of course, you've got your boating accidents Mm -hmm. and your drownings. Sure. Late at night, couples swimming. Yeah. Sure. Fingery, fingery. Fingery, feathery, fingery. Feathery, fingeries. Vehicles losing control on the bridge and plummeting off into the lake. Now, you would think that, yeah, uh, some of that's going to happen. Regardless. But it's the frequency in which these things happen that have helped garner the reputation that this lake is cursed. That and the fact that there's probably cemeteries still down there with people in them. Sure. Now, do you think it's one of those situations where because people know of its past, they just notice the things more? Or do you think that like the frequency is actually above norm? No, it's actually above norm. There, I know, need stats. Statistically speaking. There've been a lot of different stories of boats hitting something in the water only to find that there was nothing there. Uh, boats or, or, or watercraft capsizing for no apparent reason. Uh, rogue waves appearing out of nowhere and knocking ships over. Many of the drowning cases have, uh, have been really odd or unusual. People would be swimming not, not very far from the shore mm-hmm. and uh, they would uh, just drown. For what appeared to be no reason, there would be calm water, sure. no watercraft around. They would mm-hmm. just go under and that would be it. Some that have almost drowned but lived to tell their tale have said that uh, they've had experiences of unseen hands <gasps> reaching up from the water and suddenly punching them. So all the air would leave their lungs, causing exhaustion with startling suddenness. Oh, my goodness. In some cases, people who drowned fairly close to the shore have had their bodies turn up in positions far, far away from where they had died. And that could be, of course, due to, to to currents and that sort of thing. But when you watch somebody go down in shallow water and then they end up, you know, a quarter mile away in a relatively short amount of time, that's odd. And so that's led to the rumors and legend that uh, ghostly forces are dragging people under and drowning them. Now, in 2011, there were 17 deaths on Lake Lanier. Just that year, many due to what people say are freak accidents. In 2012, 
pretty much the same thing. Violent deaths, horrific in injuries, to the point where uh, major news networks were, were covering the story and saying, hey, is this place uh, haunted? Is it cursed? So in, in 2012, the first of this wave of deaths was a nine-year-old boy Ken. and his brother Griffin, Jake and Griffin. They were uh, out on a pontoon in the lake and they were struck and killed by a speeding boat driven by uh, a business owner oh. uh, that lived nearby. He was 44. Weeks after this tragic accident, uh, an 11-year-old, he was um, actually the son of Usher's ex-wife, was struck while riding an inner tube by a family acquaintance on a, on a jet ski. Mm. And then right after that, a 15-year-old boy, seriously injured, same kind of accident, same place. But all of those types of accidents, as tragic as they are, you're, you're bound to get those in a lake, especially one that's heavily touristed. And that's sure. one of the things people say, well, you know, there are a lot of people that come here. And even though the accidents are much greater proportionally to other recreational areas, mm. you can still say, yeah, that's that's just sure that just happens sometimes it does but in addition to all of these drownings and freak accidents there have been some uh, other darker more mysterious encounters oh more mysterious than feathery fingers pulling you to a watery death we're getting to the feathery fingers part okay so there was a guy his name was kelly nash he was 25 and he lived in buford georgia and he went missing on the 5th of January in uh, 2015, I guess early that morning, about four o'clock, he woke up. He had flu-like symptoms. Mm. He was coughing and, and wheezing, and he just didn't feel well at all. He told his girlfriend that uh, he probably needed to go see a doctor before going back to bed because he was really feeling badly. So when his girlfriend woke up around 7.30, he was gone, but he hadn't taken his wallet his car keys, his ID, all of that stuff was still left in the house. Now, he was still gone by evening, and she was becoming concerned. Sure. Obviously. So she called police, and while she was waiting for police to come, she discovered that a 9 millimeter pistol was missing from the house, but none of his other belongings. Nothing was out of place. So a search went on forever, it seemed. They had dogs out. They had offered a $50,000 reward for information. Nothing turned up. His whereabouts were not found. It wasn't until Joel, uh, February the 8th of that year, mm -hmm. which was several weeks later, Nash's badly decomposed body was found in Lake Lanier by a fisherman. Nash was still wearing his pajama bottoms and the, and the dark shirt that he was wearing when he talked to his girlfriend that early morning. The body appeared to have no major trauma other than a single gunshot wound to his head. The crime has never been solved. It's unclear why he chose to go out in the middle of the night in his pajamas, how he ended up in the lake, and whether or not the gunshot wound was self-inflicted or if there was foul play involved, they don't know. But it's it's fed into that whole alleged curse of Lake Lanier. Right. That's very mysterious. None of it makes sense. Another mysterious case, uh, a Gainesville high school student named Hannah Trulove, 16 years old, went missing from an apartment complex that was near the lake. Uh, she lived there with her mother on the morning of uh, August 24th in 2012. 
Uh, her body was not found until the following day in a wooded area right beside the lake, right on the lakeside, by another resident of the uh, same apartment complex. The girl had been stabbed multiple times, but it was unclear if the wounds were life-threatening, and the actual cause of death was never completely determined. What makes the case even weirder is that uh, there were a series of tweets that Hannah had sent out shortly before her death. Uh, the last tweet she sent was, so scared right now. Hannah's father would later say that his daughter had never made any mention of ever being under duress or scared about anything, and nothing seemed different about her or that she was upset for any reason prior to her disappearance. So just one day, she made a bunch of weird tweets, and then they found her dead in the woods. Yeah. That's so strange. Right right on the uh, shoreline, right on the, right on the shore, the lakeside of Lake Lanier. But the most notorious deaths associated with the lake. And this is where it kind of all begins. This is the first really big weird thing that happened there. Okay. It was April 1958, and a woman working at Riverside Military Academy, her name was Delia Parker Young, and her friend, whose name was Susie Roberts, headed off to uh, Dawsonville, Three Gables in Dawsonville. Susie was driving a 1954 Ford. They were going out for the night, but they never came back. The investigation into the disappearance, they determined that uh, they had stopped at a gas station and they had left without paying, which is weird. Uh, the only clue at the scene was a set of skid marks across the road, which seemed to suggest the car had skidded off the bridge on the Dawsonville Highway and into the lake below. Yet they couldn't find any vehicle. They sent divers down. They searched for the car. They couldn't see anything. Poor visibility. It was pretty deep water. And because it was a flooded area, there were masses of uh, sheared off tree trunks and oh, sure. that, that type of thing. For 18 months, they looked and they were unable to find any other clues. No trace. Women were just gone. The car was just gone. But then a fisherman named C.A. Simpson. There are so many great names in this story. <laughs> I <can't, laughs> I'm sorry. That's I know okay. that's not the point. But repeatedly, you're saying names that are awesome. C.A. Simpson. Well, he found a corpse floating in the water. Oh. And he thought it would be, uh, he thought, it, it was thought to be Delia Parker Young that suddenly floated up out of the depths. Strangely, the corpse could not be positively identified. It had been underwater for, for quite some time. But it was missing two toes, the left foot, and both hands. It was not discovered just how the body was missing its hands or why it was missing its hands or toes uh, or foot. But we were talking about the f weird floating foot phenomenon up in the uh, Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, all the feet that are showing up on islands in British Columbia. Yeah. And how the theory is that uh, those joints are really weak. And if they're submerged in water for a long time, they could just break off. Right. Pretty easily. So I'm wondering if maybe that... That makes sense. Makes sense. But there's no way of knowing for sure. And and they've never really determined what it is. In fact, they weren't sure it was Dahlia. So this body was buried in an unmarked grave in Alta Vista Cemetery. Hmm. The body of Susie Roberts and the car remained missing. Repeated searches were made. They could not find it. Until November of 1990. Oh. Now, remember, they went missing in 1958. In 1990, they were expanding the Lanier Bridge. That was underway. And a construction crew dredging the bottom of the lake in order to uh, pull up tree trunks and yeah. debris in order to set pillars but for the expansion. there's a lot of stuff in there. Well, they uncovered a rusted out hulk of a 1954 Ford, oh. which held the remains of one human body. 
Uh, it had been hidden within tree trunks, mud, other debris, 90 feet of water on a very steep slope. The body was, of course, badly decomposed to the point where they could not, you know, tell, you know, yeah. much of anything about it other than items on the body, jewelry, impersonal items, her purse, rings, watch. They were able to conclusively prove that uh, the body was that of long-missing Susie Roberts. So in light of that discovery, they assumed that the body they had found earlier was, in fact, Delia Parker Young. The headstone was changed. Uh, Susie Roberts was buried beside her. It's, it's an old, almost forgotten case, except locally. It, of course, has spawned the area's most persistent local legend. It's said, it is said, that a ghostly woman dressed in a blue dress, missing her hands, can sometimes be seen walking up and down the length of the Lanier Bridge. And it's uh, said to be the ghost of Delia Parker Young. She was wearing a blue dress the night that she died. And she was found with no hands. She's called the Lady of the Lake. A restless spirit seems to be searching for her missing hands. I feel like the Lady of the Lake is kind of a lazy name. It is. And has already been taken. So Several times. Right. Yeah. Should be like Delia's Deluge or something. That would... No. No. That was bad taste. There have been other bizarre sightings. Like there's a constant sighting of a raft with a pole and a lantern hanging on it. And like this shadowy figure just pulling it across the lake. Is it old Greg? (laughs) That was what I thought. (laughs) Was it? (laughs) Do you love me? What are you doing in these waters? But there have been these sightings and and occasionally this raft will be seen being pulled across the lake in water that's 45 to 90 feet deep. Yet the pole is moving the the raft along. Oh. Yeah. And so people go, what? That ain't science, babe. That don't work that way. (laughs) Anyway, Lake Lanier. Super creepy. That's really interesting. Some unexplained shit going on there. For sure. Speaking of landmarks. Yes. um, We did get a message about one of our uh, Instagram posts. And uh, the answer is yes. Um, I have been using vacation photos uh, for our uh, yeah. new episode posts. Yeah, it's kind of been an inside joke between you and I. You're using our personal vacation photos as background for our posts. So when you see like an awesome building or maybe a cobblestone street or or in some cases, uh, wild animals, <laughs> they're all photos that uh, that probably Kat took. I, I maybe took a couple, but you, you're the photographer. And there are a few like stock photos that I use. There's some, you know, medical equipment that I use every now and then again. But most of them are vacation photos or just photos that that you and I have taken out and about um, many from Bangor, actually. It's almost like we're forcing you to watch our... Vacation slides. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Without you even knowing. <laughs> we're so damn manipulative. That thing on the side? No. It's that thing in the middle. Today, that thing in the middle. Weird stuff foreigners say about Americans. Number five. They can't make beer. Well, we're not going to argue with you on that one. <laughs> That's not true. We're getting much better. I got better. Number four, they're too loud. Why do Americans laugh so loudly, talk so loudly? We can hear you, you know, says one person from Israel. But his sentiment is shared by many across the world. Including Americans. (laughs) Number three, everything is awesome. The British say brilliant all the time, 
But Americans, according to some foreigners, say awesome all the time. Mm, this is accurate. I think that's awesome. I originally started using awesome ironically, and then it just became part of my vocab, and now I can't stop. That's awesome, too. All right. Americans think Europe is just France, Germany, and Britain. <laughs> we are historically, yes, very bad at geography. Sorry about that. And the number one thing that foreigners say about Americans, Americans smile too much. Agreed. Like awesome, smiles have come to mean nothing because they're overused. Americans smile so much that uh, people, uh, or at least one person anyway, from Finland says, when they see somebody smiling, they assume that the stranger is drunk, insane, or from the United States. (laughs) (laughs) The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Box of Oddities a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at oddities.robinhood.com. 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 If you laid all our boxes of oddities end-to-end, you'd have, well... A lot of open boxes. You know, all laid end to end. This is the Box of Oddities. So, my love, what you got for me? What do you got for me? What you got for me? So, the other day you went to Canada to visit your famille. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the, the fact that every time we go up there, uh, we end up watching like 1970s TV yeah. until it's way past my bedtime. Sure. Yet all the elders are still up enjoying themselves. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, guys, I, I have like, I have to sleep. Yeah. I don't know how your family, like every single person in your family can stay up. Hours and hours and hours later than I can. Well, we have the complete DVD set of Barnaby Jones. So it's easy. <laughs> well, this last time you were watching uh, Johnny Carson. Yeah, we have we have the complete uh, Johnny Carson vault set. Yes. And I was reminded of a guest that was on Johnny Carson once. Oh, yeah? And so I started doing a little bit of reading to kind of re-familiarize myself with this guest and his... Speciality. So here we go. Let's talk about psychic surgery. Okay. So psychic surgeons are, this is according to uh, therapies.com, psychic surgeons are gifted healers that have been blessed with the ability to completely melt or remove cysts, tumors, calcium deposits, pus, energy blockages, etc. from your body using their bare hands. 
psychic surgery is big business around the world, but especially in the Philippines and Brazil, where there are healers like Alex Orbito and Lawrence Kateng. A guy named Tony Agpeoa put psychic surgery on the map in Manila, where there are now several hundred practicing psychic surgeons, many working out of hotels. In an article that I was reading, uh, it states that a genuine psychic surgeon will only work on you for a few minutes, and they may not have a specific uh, illness that they work on, like cancer or tumors or broken teeth, etc. They're just kind of general healers. Uh, they don't use anesthesia. They don't use scalpels or stitches. There are no side effects from pharmaceutical drugs. These are some of the, the things that they use to tout their business is like, there's really no side effects. You don't have to deal with scarring. You don't have a long recovery period. Um, when the surgery is finished, the body will be closed and there's not going to be a scar. You'll be able to get up and do what you would normally do afterwards um, and resume your daily activity. You might feel a bit tired, but that's normal after mm, any sure. kind of surgery. Of course. Um, psychic dentistry is also available for those who prefer dentistry without anesthesia or dental drills, uh, also performed by faith healers. Okay. So... They're able to fill a fill a cavity yep. with their mind. Mm -hmm. Now, this is really interesting. I remember reading something about Andy Kaufman when he allegedly got cancer, uh, going to one of these psychic surgeons. Right. Yeah. And I think it was maybe it was Brazil or or South America. Yeah. I think. And the seventies. Uh, were a, a big time for this. There was a lot of interest in uh, alternate healing, and uh, people were very interested in going to other places for healing, finding things that maybe weren't traditional. Um, and in the, the case of psychic dentistry, uh, there's a guy named Willard Fuller, uh, who has supposedly healed more than 40,000 people since he began practicing in the 60s. According to this article, those who flock to his healing ministry claim that his magic touch can fill cavities, make bad teeth whole again, and even produce new teeth in elderly patients. I would like to see that. That would seem to be pretty easy, easily documented. Somebody goes in with no teeth, mm -hmm. they come out, they've got teeth, and, and right. they're not false. And there's not a lot of documentation of uh, these practices working. Um, but there's also not a lot of documentation of them not working, um, usually because the people die. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, but also because patients are afraid to admit that they've been defrauded because that would imply that they lack faith. I see. Or that they're just stupid. Right. In the case of uh, surgery or psychic surgery, the practitioner uh, is in fact creating an illusion that they are performing surgery with their bare hands. Like with the Andy Kaufman thing, I, I'm pretty sure that you're familiar with uh, the guy that was with him stating that what he saw looked to be... Like a sleight of hand thing. Like a sleight of yeah. hand. No, I look at that. That's one case. And there's going to be charlatans and frauds and pretty much any type of activity. Was that an isolated situation or... or is no, that's pretty much pretty across much the board. Really? Yeah. Um, they will use uh, trickery, fake blood, animal parts to convince the patient that the diseased lesions have been removed and that the incision has spontaneously healed. 
Most cases don't involve actual surgery, though there have been those who have used scalpels who have actually cut oh. into bodies to create uh, a more thorough illusion. Um, they're yeah, not. That's pretty thorough. Right. Well, they're not actually taking anything out of you. They're not actually healing you in any way. They're just cutting a hole in you yeah. to make it look like. Like they did something. they've done something. No, I wonder if if the placebo effect kicks in for some of these patients. If they really believe that these tumors have been removed, if maybe the mind actually removes or dissolves the tumors, or they just feel better. Um, that that may be the case. Um, my dad was able to make warts go away. What? Um, so if anyone in our family had a wart, um, they would go to my dad, and my dad would put a penny over it. And um, he would talk to you about how the wart was going to go away. And then it would. Wow. It um, All the time? All the time. No shit. I never didn't see it work. Holy crap. Um, and that was one of those things. I mean, it didn't like instant. It wasn't like you lifted off the penny and it, disapp- it had disappeared. Right. It took time. Right. But inevitably, your wart would go away. And fairly rapidly? Fairly rapidly, yes. You're the daughter of a shaman. <laughs> well, I believe entirely that it was, you know, your your body healing itself because, you know, mostly it was kids. It was, you sure. know, our our gross cousins and, you know, me. <laughs> your wart infested kin. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, there. <laughs> <laughs> you, and you country folk. You know, we all, we, my dad was. The kids all called my dad Pop Pop, and he was kind of a big deal. Sure. And Pop Pop didn't lie. No. So if Pop Pop was telling you that, you know, your your wart was going to go away, you you had a, a reasonable amount of faith that it would go away. And the penny was a nice touch. I, I, I really love the fact that he was using props. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my dad was a prop user. That's for sure. Um, I don't know what that means. So in regions of the world where belief in evil spirits is prevalent, practitioners would sometimes exhibit objects like glass, explaining that foreign bodies had been placed inside the patient's body by evil spirits. So rather than just pulling out a chicken liver or whatever, they would also pull out glass and say this, you know, is the work of a demon and I've just taken it out of you. Or they just weren't able to get by the slaughterhouse before their procedure. That's true too. You know, I got to pick something up off the side of the road. Here's a pop top. Let's use that. Alex Orbito called himself one of the world's top psychic surgeons and uh, was even included in actor Shirley MacLaine's self-help book on inner transformation. In uh, 2005, Toronto police called Alex Orbito a fake and announced that he'd been charged with fraud. According to police, Mr. Orbito had set up in a room at a Best Western, which I guess is pretty common (laughs) for psychic healers. A Best Western. Set up in a hotel, motel, healing inn. He was charging patients $135 a pop for one of his two-minute spiritual sessions, which is great dollars per hour. Yeah, that figures out to um, a lot. Yeah. Uh, During his sessions, he appeared to open patients' abdomens and pull out diseased tumors and negativities in the form of blood clots. After these surgeries, patients found only a few drops of blood on an unscarred body. 
Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I would take the blood to a lab and, and have an analysis run. Right. Find out, you know, is that my blood? Is it human? Nope. No, chicken it's blood. chicken blood. In three days, Alex Orbito provided services, quote unquote, to uh, 600 people. Oh my God. And he uh, raised more than $80,000. Holy crap. It's a it's a tough thing because it's um it's dealing with people's health. And when you're talking about health and when you're talking about faith, you're talking about people who are very vulnerable. And it is um it's frustrating beyond frustration um when you see people who will take advantage of those who are ill either uh, physically or spiritually. Yeah. And when you tell somebody who is vulnerable that if they don't get well, that they're spiritually inferior, right? that's abusive. It's 100% abusive. So abusive. It's evil. And there are those who are well-versed in sleight of hand who have talked publicly about this practice. James Randi. James Randi. I knew it. I love him. He is a stage magician and says that psychic surgery is sleight of hand. Uh, he said he calls it a confidence trick. Um, he said that in personal observations of the procedure and in movies showing the procedures, he can spot the sleight of hand moves that he knows as an experienced stage ma- magician, but that very well might deceive casual observers. He was on. Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. Yeah, that's and right. And performed a quote-unquote psychic surgery on the show. Um, he he did it, and you could see how it looked exactly like he dug into a guy's abdomen yeah. with his bare hands, pulled stuff out, tried to clean up that blood. Oh, there's so much blood coming out of your belly. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, it was really convincing. That's amazing. That, that really is. But it just goes to tell you, I mean... It- there's a pretty dark place in hell for people that do this sort of thing, that prey mm-hmm. on sick and injured people who all they want, in many cases, I'm sure, this is their last hope. Right. And to take their money. Yep. Which is, might be their last money. Is just unforgivable. Yep. Professional magician Milbourne Christopher, he also investigated psychic surgeons at work and uh, spoke of his observations of mm. sleight of hand. And then on his A&E show Mind Freak in the episode Sucker, illusionist Chris Angel performed a psychic surgery, showing firsthand how it can be done. Again, using fake blood, using plastic bags and chicken livers. Chris Angel is an amazing showman. He's super freaky. I love that guy. Super freaking yow. I love that in your face kind of uh, illusion that he does. And you know, and he tells you this is not real. But you're going, how? How are you doing this? (laughs) Regardless of whether or not it's real, you're still freaking me out. Yeah. And there's a physician named William Nolan who investigated psychic surgery. And he actually wrote a book about it called Healing, A Doctor in Search of a Miracle. Uh, That was in 1974. Again, 70s, big time for this business. Um, And uncovered many, many cases of fraud. Um, I I did a lot of Googling and was unable to find any sort of uh, anything to verify that this was ever successful, that this was ever real, that um, mostly what it showed was that people who thought that they had been healed couldn't complain that they weren't healed because they died. Wow. That is the ultimate dirty con. It's pretty rough, right? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, sorry about that. I brought this whole party down, but also infused a little magic. 
So. It's like I have Chris Angel right here in my bedroom with me. <laughs> That's not, not the first re- time you've said that. <laughs> 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 that was a discussion for the, for the you and me times. Anywhoozle, we love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. The Box of Oddities. It happens two times a week. And um, oh, hold on. I'm sorry. By the way, I'm going to add that book um, that we talked about on Goodreads. You can also find us on the Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and... Yeah, and if you listen on uh, iTunes, if you want to, if you would be so kind as to give us a positive review and, and you know, a high rank thing, that really helps us. It helps us grow the podcast. Yeah, high rank thing. Yeah, give us a high rank thing. I mean, if you really believe we deserve it. If you don't, then um, please don't. Don't, don't say anything. Don't say at all. anything. Just go. Just go away. Right. A, yeah. Just go right away from there. Right away, as we say in Maine. Right straight away. Right straight. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past, and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.